Welcome back to 60 Weeks, 60 Books. We are now a quarter of the way through this journey, looking at a book that has been both a set text rendered safe for its readers, filtered through the potentially numbing lens of literary analysis, as well as a text banned by school boards and stashed by librarians behind desks, requiring parental permission before young readers can borrow it. The reasons behind this censorship are varied. The book has been seen as profane, obscene, anti-white, subversive, perverse, dangerous, and has certainly inspired two or three killers. I found my copy of this perilous literary classic once again in the school bookshop. I must say I must have spent a lot of time and money in there. Although my school fees were paid by my father's employer, the World Bank, I later discovered from my stepmother that she, by then the financial administrator, had to pay the bill up front and reclaim the costs from the bank, some of which, including the book bill, were not refunded. Eventually, she and my father lost patience with my outsized book and stationery bills, and I was prohibited from buying anything more without their permission. But by then, I had spent over £100, which in 1978 or 79 was many, many books. I'm not sure if I read Catcher in the Rye in late 1977 or early 1978, but I remember that it was winter, it was cold, and sitting in school, Holden Caulfield captured my imagination entirely. We were both isolated, angry, confused, and stuck in boarding school. I envied him his hunting cap, but even more his ability to escape from school. The book, published in 1951, is set in the late 1940s. Holden and his peers at Pensy had more freedom then than we did in the late 1970s at Rodine. Pensy Prep, Elkton Hills, Wooten, the three schools I remember being named in the book, are clearly based on places like Phillips Exeter, Groton and Choate, the prep schools that were and still are possible gateways to Ivy League colleges for children of the elite northeast states. Like my school, teachers seemed remote, and when they weren't remote, they were mean, like Mr Spencer, or creepy, like Mr Antolini. Holden sees phonies all around him, despising the ways he sees adults behave, their hypocrisy, their fragile social veneer. So did I. He was a reader, and so was I. It was after reading Catcher in the Rye that I caught up on Return of the Native, The Great Gatsby, and A Farewell to Arms. Like Holden, I was a big fan of Eustacia Vi, Hardy's rebellious, tempestuous heroine of Return of the Native, and I loved Great Gatsby, and still do. Less so A Farewell to Arms. And most like Holden, I did not want to leave childhood and enter the world of adults. I remember a real sense of grief when I reached 12. Being a teenager was in no way enticing, and already quite firmly, I saw very little attractive in being an adult. I saw my mother struggling in London to make her way, to make a home, scrabbling and slogging, and my father, working at the World Bank, began to grow rancid from engaging with the machinations of internal politics and power plays. When I first encountered Holden, I recognised the world of Harriet the Spy, the world of 1950s and 60s upper-middle-class New York, fancy schools, dancing classes, bars, jazz, 
but also the world of boarding school that I had experienced thus far as a place of isolation and loneliness. At prep school, I had made one close friend, Sophie, but she and I went to different schools at 12 and had very different trajectories after that. My first year of secondary school, I hardly knew where to put myself. Everything felt alien, strange, including my peers and their ways. We were 12 and 13, and in our heads, we were no longer children, no longer kids. Of course, we still were, but we had all begun trying on the trappings of adolescence. Some people fell into crushes on older girls, some were sporty, some were popular, some had been at the school for some time and already had quite fixed friendships. There was one other girl whose father was also in the World Bank, but she was in a different house and temperamentally we weren't that alike. Of course, none of the girls at Rodine were anything like the pimply young men that Holden was at school with. But Ackley, Stradlater, Ernest Morrow are all recognisable types. And when we did start going to school dances and meeting young men, I think that those stereotypes lingered and probably kept me healthily suspicious of boys and their motives. The year that I read Catcher, I also began to make friends, people who have become embedded in the fabric of my life with shared memories from long after we left school. But... At the time of reading it, I was still on a tightrope, gingerly navigating the nature of teenage friendships, and fundamentally, deep down, I still did not want to grow up, did not want to engage with adulthood. Later, much later, I taught Catcher in the Rye to a group of 15 and 16-year-olds. Interestingly, it was the boys who really disliked both the main character and the book as a whole. Holden's behaviour perhaps was too close, too recognisable. Now, rereading it, I am struck by just how accurately Salinger captured Holden's breakdown. It is around 12 or more years since that year when I taught it, and in the interim I have moved from academic to pastoral work in schools. I have a much better understanding of mental health, and mental disorder, and in fact this week just completed a couple of intense training days about providing the initial support to children experiencing distress and mental health, ill health and suicidal ideation. Unpicking Holden's story, we soon realise he is still suffering terribly from the death of his much-loved brother, Ali, three years before. He has also picked up on the struggles experienced by his older brother, D.B., who spent the final four years of World War II in the army and when on leave came home only to stay in his room, detached and uncommunicative. Meanwhile, Holden is enmeshed in the usual trajectory for the children of wealthy families of the time, prep school for four years leading inevitably to that place at Yale, Princeton, Harvard. And he simply cannot do it. As the book opens, he has been given the boot by Pensy for failing in four subjects. And it is clear that he has also been booted out of at least one other school. It is equally clear that he is as intelligent as he is obnoxious. His inability to study is not stupidity or idleness. But school for Holden holds no solution or solace. In the swift 
skewering sketches he draws of his peers, we see that he perceives adulthood as a form of corruption and regards the teenagers around him like Stradlater and his pompous former mentor Carl Luce, like Sally Hayes and the miserable Ackley, as having bought into the compromises and false promises for their future. Holden's family are wealthy. His father is a corporation lawyer. He sees little ahead of him beyond the well-worn, conventional pathway of his class. But Ali's death and DB's war experiences have wrenched him out of that comfortable, predictable groove. Holden may be privileged and clueless, but however hard he tries, he cannot regulate himself into the expected patterns and behaviours of his caste. Nowadays, we understand that adverse childhood experiences, bereavement, separation and divorce, abuse, conflict, neglect, can all lead to mental health issues. It's not a given, but when they're there, they do promote mental ill health. Holden's behaviour is a textbook response to trauma, and it is clear from the glancing references to his mother that she too is still mourning Ali's death. After his death, July the 18th, 1946, the one absolutely precise date that Holden provides. Following the moment when Holden breaks all the windows in the family garage, we hear that his parents were planning to have me psychoanalysed and all, but he seems instead to have been sent to school and it isn't clear that he had any treatment at all beyond basic medical care for his broken hand. From the picture Holden gradually builds of his life in school, he is clearly experiencing severe depression. When he meets his former student mentor, Luce, in a bar on his second night in New York, it is clear from Luce's attitude that Holden has been provocative and irritating for some time. Holden's breakdown is intensified when he leaves Pensy, middle of one snowy night. He has not been sleeping he smokes and drinks whenever he has the opportunity, and when he takes Sally Hayes skating and then harangues her in a cafe, his speech patterns and the comments he makes, once again, are indicative of a child pushed to his limit. She tells him to stop shouting. She asks him to stop mumbling. We see from his speech patterns and later his drunken behaviour in the bar where he had met Luce that he simply cannot manage himself. As a 13-year-old... I loved this book. Just as Harriet the Spy told me very clearly things about myself that no one else could see or know, Holden also helped me navigate the muddier, stranger waters of moving through being a teenager. I read and reread the book many times between 13 and 17, years that I look back on as a wasteland. I did as little work as I could. I slept as much as I could, and when I didn't sleep, I read books, mostly with nothing to do with school. I didn't enjoy school much. My relationship with my father was diabolical, and I had no idea what I was doing or why I was doing it. Looking back, I'm pretty sure that I had some form of low-grade persistent depression, but in those days, all sorts of conditions went unnoticed. And in all the rereads of Catcher, the message I kept on hearing was that, however terrible things might seem to me, I never had it so bad as Holden. 
There are many, many people out there who have read Catcher and loathed it. I can understand why. But for me, reading it then and reading it now, with a much greater understanding of the distress and difficulties that adolescents can experience, I think it may just have been one of the books that saved my life. Next week, a far more cheerful book, Thunder on the Right, a classic by the Queen of Romantic Mystery, Mary Stuart. I look forward to you joining me then. Goodbye. Goodbye.